Hello, and welcome to Self-Taught Devs. If this is your first time joining us, this is a podcast where two self-taught developers discuss the learning and growth experience for folks just getting into the industry. My name is Eric Winklespecht. And I'm Matt Ehrlich. So we've got uh, something a little bit different on today's show. Uh, we have a guest. Uh, his name is Vito Rivabella. Vito, you want to do us a favor and kind of give a little bit of an intro of who you are and what you're currently doing, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about why we're having you on the show, and then we'll kind of just see where the conversation leads. 100%. First, thank you so much, Matt and Eric, for having me here today. I'm Vito, leading developer experience at Alchemy. I'm a web-free developer, content creator, trying to onboard people onto web-free. And super happy to dig deeper into how I got here, how I got started into Web3, and yeah, how I started my career as a developer. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So it's, you know, today, like I said, it's a little bit different because our previous guests that we've had on the show, um, we've normally been familiar with through LinkedIn or other channels. Um, Alchemy actually reached out to us and asked if we would be interested in having you on to talk about Web3, which we thought was an interesting experience for us because we haven't really had any kind of conversations about Web3. Um, as a podcast who is trying to uh, explore the the process of getting into web development or getting into the software engineering career and just talk about the experiences, that's kind of a blind spot for us. I have very limited experience with Web3. Matt, I don't know if you've dived into it at all during your learning journey, have you? Absolutely none. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, and it's one of those, you know, I don't know, Vito, would you still call it an and coming technology because it's been, I think, on a rapid uh, rise, right? How would you kind of classify the state of Web3? So first, super glad that you don't have much experience with Web3. And this is the first time we can start talking about that. Uh, I think the hardest job when you're working in Web3 is actually changing the narrative for everyone. Usually it is associated with like cryptos and Ponzi schemas and NFTs. Whereas what we're trying to do here is educate people about the actual advantages that Web3 as a technology, as a component of your tech stock brings to your product and solutions. Um, how would I classify Web3 is definitely early step, early stage. I was talking yesterday with Patrick, he's a great developer in the industry, a great educator, just published a 24 hours course on how to develop a smart contract and deploy in Web3. And the thing with Web3 is that it enables people to change systems that have been the same for years and years, very complex systems that we call system, such systems centralized. The thing is, we're used as humans to talk bad about these systems. Oh my God, the financial systems suck. Um, they suck. And like these countries do not have access to the same uh, financial opportunities or identity providers that we have. The reality is that these systems are not that bad in most of cases. Uh, they're very complex. They've been shaped in hundreds of years of policies, regulations, and kind of an international collaboration between countries to come up with solutions that can actually protect your money and your value. Um, Web3 puts everything at risk. So while solving more a lot of problems, we also need to rebuild from scratch all of these policies, regulations, and functionalities that are actually protecting its users. So from that end, it's definitely a early stage technology because we're working on that. We're making it more secure, more user-friendly and developer-friendly. As a concept, of course, it is not. Uh, decentralized systems have been around since the 70s. So as, let's just say a newcomer, maybe I'm not 
paying attention to current events. Maybe I don't stay up to date with uh, the current technologies. Just an average guy trying to make his way in the world, right? Mm -hmm. What is Web3 exactly? And why should I, the average day person, concern myself with it? I love this question. Um, the answer is, it might be a little long. So if I start ranting, please stop me. I will try to stop myself as soon as possible. So the answer actually depend, really depends on who's asking the question. For a developer, um, I would say it's just another component to your, to your stack, right? Whenever you develop an application, uh, chances are you will have to make choices. You'll have to decide if you want to use a NoSQL database versus a SQL database. You will have to decide if you want to use Next.js and server-side rendering versus a standard React application. And it goes along with another bunch of choices. Web3 brings to the stack other solutions to old things about user management, um, identity providers, such as we can get into that, like Gitcoin Passport, they're offering identity services that go against things called civil attacks. So whenever a user on the internet acts as multiple identities, this creates problems, right? Uh, whenever you can vote for things, whenever you fill up forms, think about if you want to issue a form and you have tons of bots answering all the same questions and polluting your data infinitely. Um, this is a problem that you can't really solve with Web2. It's a problem that you can solve with Web3. So as a solution that you can bring into your stack to solve problems that you couldn't solve before with like standard Web2 stacks. Now, going back, CAPTCHA is another thing. Uh, CAPTCHA solves until a certain point, but there are proofs, of course, that CAPTCHA not always solves the problem. Now, for the people in general, the answer is Web3 brings some equality that centralized systems can't really bring, but not because they're bad or just because they're bad act actors, but because they're very clunky, they're very big systems, and to change these systems, to update these systems, it takes a lot of time. A um, couple of examples to better understand how Web3 helps society, helps people. For example, I live in Europe, I live in Italy, my financial system works, my identity provider systems work. Um, I wake up in the morning and I know that my identity will be there if I go to the airport, I can just scan my passport and boom, they know who I am. Might be concerning, but this is how it is. If I go to the bank, I can just go there, withdraw my money and boom, I have my money there. Nothing will ever happen. But think if you are from Venezuela, for example. If you're from Venezuela, your inflation rate is around 97.7%. That means that if you want to buy some bread, you need a brick of money, literally a brick of money. This is, of course, not scalable, it's not sustainable. So what the Venezuelan, the Venezuelan citizens started doing is saving money in USD because it's one of the most stable coins out there, currencies out there, not coins. Well, the problem is if all Venezuelan citizens start buying USDCs with pesos, USDs with pesos, the pesos value will drop um, tremendously. So it's a big problem, even a bigger problem for their economy. So what the state did was putting a limit, a cap to $100 per month that a Venezuelan citizen could buy with pesos. Of course, $100 is nothing. You can really buy anything. So what the Venezuelan people started doing is saving money using a stable coin called USD, USDC. Now, if you're not familiar with stable coins, they're just coins that are one-on-one -on -one pegged to the dollar. We can get into technicalities. Best case scenario, they really have like a counterpart in real dollars. So if there are like 1 billion USDC, USDCs, you have $1 billion baking them up. Other example, let's move to India. So across the other side of the globe, um, small city in the middle of India, one day a data center burned out, burning 
wiping out 20,000 identities completely. So all the identities associated with passports, digital identity cards, driving licenses, and so on and so forth were all gone. Of course, social identities weren't. People still knew each other's name, but the government, government identities were gone. These are things that can be solved with Web3 because not having a centralized point of failure, talking as, a, as an engineer, not having a centralized point of failure, especially in simple, not very well-structured technology and systems like it can happen in emerging markets, um, is a life-saving technology. Now, we can get also in the story of how it helps artists to make money. We can get into the story of how it helps companies to raise money without going into VCs. That's a little bit more complex and we don't have, we still don't have the policies to actually talk about that in a professional way, but definitely the other two are solutions that can be already be actioned and there are states that are already working on it. Yeah. I, I think, I think the most important point that you made there is like, I think the term I always hear is like a single point of contact is a single point of failure, right? It's kind of what you were alluding to with like, if you have all of your information in, in one storage place and something happens potentially just gone. Um, I think, you know, you're, you're given a lot of really interesting data and a lot of really interesting examples. I think something that might help both Matt and I, and probably our, our listener group understand web three a little bit more is your backstory, right? Because from what I understand you, you, I mean, no one's in web three, uh, in perpetuity, right? You found your way into it somehow as well. So tell us a little bit more about your background veto and, and, how you discovered web three and kind of that we'll dive into that learning experience a little bit along the way. hundred percent. So yeah, my story as probably the story of 99% of the people in web three is I wasn't born as a web three person. I wasn't even born as a developer. Um, for the majority of my life, I defined myself as a digital artist. So I started going to the Academy of Fine Art. I studied psychology for a while and then I went to the Academy of Fine Art. Um, VFX and movie industry was the um, kind of the, the address, the subjects that I was studying. And I was creating digital tools for animators that were doing digi-doubles. Do you know what digi-doubles are? Mm -mm. Uh, that's kind of interesting, completely off topic, but essentially what happens is um, nowadays, stuntmen and stuntwomen um, are kind of rare because most of the times the scenes that they need to, to shoot are really dangerous. So new studios tend to opt for digi-doubles. They're like literally 3D models of an actor that gets smashed onto the wall. It's a realistic 3D model of an actor that gets smashed onto the wall. But not just that, of course, they used it to make Quentin Tarantino look younger or to make actors look younger or actors that are not here anymore to record movies, uh, to record new movies because they still have their 3D model. So it's kind of dystopian thing, but it's really cool and really interesting. Anyway, dealing with 500 artists altogether is not a thing. It's not like the funniest of, of things. So after I think six years, I was like, okay, let me drop everything. I was doing the supervisor there. So very good position. I was super young. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to resign and go back to the university. I want to study computer science in Scotland. My parents completely freaked out. They were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why don't you like an artist? I was like, yes, I was. Um, so I went back to the university in Scotland. And there I met this amazing engineer called Sarah Drosner. Do you know Sarah Drosner? Have you ever heard of her? No. So she's director of web technologies at Google, gigabrain, like literally a gigabrain. And she was posting a lot on Twitter. She was creating her community. She had a very big community. 
And again, amazing engineer. I was completely blown away. So I started creating content on Twitter. And coming from an art background, my main content was just translating documentations. So I was like going on to documentation, not understanding anything. ChatGPT wasn't a thing. So I was like, wait, let me translate it for other people so they can actually understand. And I started posting this kind of content while I was studying at the university. It blew up. And I started getting a lot of inbound. So we can get to this point back later on because that's probably a good point for like people that are looking for freelance jobs or looking yeah, to make money in web development and online. But anyway, I started getting a lot of inbound and I was like, you know what? Okay, let's, let, me, let me drop off the university. So I went to my parents back and I was like, you know what? I'm actually dropping off from the university as well. They were like, you're crazy. You're completely gone. I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I have a plan, trust me. Luckily, I didn't have a plan, but it turned out that the plan was kind of good. And ended up with Alchemy sending me a message one day, Alan, shout out to her. I was like, hey, do you want to collaborate? Like, let's do it. You know what? I'm actually going to apply. Applied. And let me take a step back. I actually went, because it's a long story of how I ended up in programming and web free. Step, step before, for me, web free was a scam. I didn't believe in web free. For five years of my life, I had my best friend into cryptos and stuff telling me, you should definitely write a smart contract. You should definitely get into cryptos. It was like, no, it's a bubble. My dad was a bank guy. Um, no, it's a bubble. It will never work out. Continue living your dreaming world. Word. Um, I ended up writing my first smart contract by mistake because I was looking to do a completely different thing. I was completely mind blown. And so on Twitter, I started posting about that and Alchemy contacted me. And then here I am trying to teach people and onboarding people into Web3 and tell them that Web2 and Web3 are just marketing words and it's probably just the same tech. So you talked about uh, kind of translating documentation for other people while you were learning, but how was that learning for you and what were some of the resources that you were using to learn? That's a great question. So coming from a research and development background in the VFX industry, I was kind of used to learn in a scrappy way because most of the times you don't really find the resources that you're looking for. Um, so I spent a lot of years, honestly, Matt, um, studying how to study. Because it's complex, right? When you have to study a lot of new things, a lot of new frameworks are coming out. You're also creating content and potentially I'm a DevRel today, so I need to teach other people constantly. You need to learn fast. Um, my first resources, so my first ever resource actually about web development, it was the web development, the full web development bootcamp by Angela Yu on mm -hmm. Udemy. Do you know her? Mm -hmm. she, we she's both amazing. took it. Yeah, we've both gone through it. I think 99% of developers out there owe their career to Angela Hu, uh, amazing surgeon also, so completely mind blowing. So I took that course and then I think I bought a book about Java. I was like, classic decision that everyone does probably at a certain point. I'm going to buy a book about Java and learn about generics. So I was super pumped about that. And then I learned about learning by teaching. So what I started doing, it was just learning about something and then creating a small course, writing a tutorial, writing a blog, translating documentation. Okay, I just read this page of documentation about this new SDK. What did I understand? Let me write a quick start guide because they don't have it. You'd be surprised how many like tools don't have proper documentation. And, and that's how I started learning actually, just by teaching people and developing projects, of course. So let's talk about teaching a little bit. Um, cause you know, your background wasn't teaching, right? So that in itself is an experience. 
Um, I think a lot of folks, as they're making the change, and we've had conversations about this on the show, we talk about imposter syndrome. You know, we talk about the difficulty of making a change and I guess believing in yourself enough to keep going and fighting that feeling of self-doubt or like, I'm not an expert, right? And clearly you're saying you were learning and teaching kind of at the same time. You're not the expert in that material, but you're doing your best to put stuff out there from your perspective and help others. So did you did you have any experience with that? Did you have that imposter syndrome feeling? And if so, like, what what about it? What did you do to get through it? hundred percent. I still have to be someone that doesn't have imposter syndrome like every day of their lives. Um, reality is that once you start understanding that everyone has imposter syndrome, everything becomes kind of easier. But as you said, um, there are multiple ways to get over it. First is it depends on what you're doing for sure. With development is very much about patience. And I think I learned my first approach with patience and learning about patience, how to be patient was with the gym. I think that's like classic example that everyone that goes to the gym does that it, when you start going to the gym and you start lifting weights, it takes time. You cannot assume that you will squat. Uh, I'm talking in kilos. I'm sorry for that, but I cannot do the, the translation on the fly, um, <laughs> but like 200 kilos the first time you hit the gym. No, that, that won't work. You need time, you need practice, you need to make mistakes, you need sometimes to hurt yourself, unfortunately. And ultimately, if you keep on going, you will lift those like 200 kilos, that it should be like 355 livers, by the way, something like that. Um, the same is with programming. You start, you start learning and you understand anything. And you're like, okay, I will never do it. Now, think, I was, I was a, an artist, again, I was drawing stuff. Um, drawing, I always seen drawing and programming, I don't know you folks, but as these like primitives of knowledge, right? Like in your life, or you know how to draw or you know how to code, but you can't do both. And, and mostly if you are like older than 20 years old, you cannot learn how to draw, you cannot learn how to code, it's gone forever. Um, this is, this is a lie. It's not true. Of course, it's just a matter of like putting with your head there, staying in focus for a long enough period and continue practicing. Now, how did it got over imposter syndrome? Is there a way, like I'm also asking you folks, is there a way to get over imposter syndrome? Um, probably you can accomplish things and you can set short-term goals that really helps. So it's like this week I will achieve these things and you do all of your best to achieve those things. And maybe the week after you try to improve your goals a little bit, try to be a little bit more pretending a little bit more from by on from yourself right you pretend to, to achieve more and then you do this for long enough and ultimately you will achieve something big but daily whenever you start a new project whenever you start a new venture whenever you have a new marketing launch gtm literally meeting presentation before coming to this podcast i was like i have no idea what i was talking about i, I like my life is not that interesting but it ends up that probably there are other people that really want to listen to the things that you have done because they're not just not behind, but they're maybe two steps back and they want to know, okay, what are the, the things that you already learned that I can avoid learning like in the worst possible way, but just by listening to you, right? So I can learn them by just listening to you. So does it answer your question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's It's definitely <laughs> always the process of like, well, I, I guess the phrase I always hear is like, you fake it till you make it kind of thing, right? Like you might yes. not be the expert, you might not be the most confident in what you're doing, but like go ahead and just do it and put it out there. Because as you said, and I think Matt and I both 
share in this sentiment, like, regardless of what you're doing, if you're trying to teach or not, you know, Matt, Matt, I don't want to speak for you, but you always say you take the stance of like, I put stuff out there because I'm just documenting what I'm doing. And it'll help people behind me anyway. And I'm just kind of talking about what what my journey is. Um, But yeah, there's always folks that are catching up to where you are or interested in what you're doing, even if you don't think that they exist, they definitely are out there. Totally. I remember this thing that was kind of iconic and I was giving a workshop and at a certain point, and this to tell you how sometimes the thing that you know and you give for granted that you know them, you're like, of course I know these things. Sometimes they're like treasures for other people, for other like wannabe developers, right? I was doing, giving this workshop at a certain point, I opened my terminal and I literally write code dot to open VS code, nothing crazy. Everyone was completely mind blown. And I had the second, I was like, what is going on here? They were like, what did you do? I was like, I ran code dot. And they were like, what is code dot? Okay, okay, okay. And I just created a tutorial about that. I would never have thought to create a tutorial about that. Your experience there is super, super important because we talk to a lot of people, maybe weekly, I would say, who ask us, how, how are you putting yourself out there? How do you talk about code? How are you making videos about what you're doing? And it, it seems like your experience was just, you know, you learned it that day and you just did it. Like, you know, it, you may feel like scared or nervous or, or whatever, but there is a payoff to that. And it gets a lot easier as you go on. So you, you talked about how you were doing that daily and then eventually Alchemy reached out to you and, and you started down that journey. So Run us through that a little bit. How exactly did that start off and and how did it progress? My journey in general with Alchemy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's a good question. So when I when I joined Alchemy, it was it was a huge company. It wasn't a Mongoose company anyway. When I joined Alchemy, it was pre-round C. So for those that don't know, Alchemy, to give you some context, is a web-free developer tooling and node provider platform that powers some of the biggest web-free companies, but not also only web three companies, also web two companies approaching web three out there. A um, couple of names: OpenSea, ZeroX, Web two. We can call about. We can talk about Meta and Shopify, for example. When I joined Alchemy, now is valued at ten point two billion. I think when I joined, it was five hundred million, and we were thirty two people. Now we are one hundred and seventeen, I would say. But and of course, it could it could change completely. Think about it. I come from a totally different background. I'm from Genoa. Is a small city in Italy, 500,000 inhabitants. The only reason you will ever come here is because we have an Among Us aquarium that, that is super beautiful. Like, I really <laughs> suggest you to come here and look at that aquarium because it's like the biggest in Europe. But other than that, no reason. But I always worked here. I lived in Venice for a while and in Milan. One day, I ended up working in a Silicon Valley company. None of my parents were engineers, none of my siblings were engineers. Uh, none of them ever worked in the US. So it was like completely mind and blown. First week, I felt imposter syndrome, the biggest imposter syndrome of my life. It was like, everyone here is so smart. I know nothing. I will just resign. Um, turns out this is like super normal when you join a new place. So if you're living the same, don't do it. It's perfectly fine. But um, I joined as a developer relations. What is developer relation? That's that's another vertical in this discussion. Probably it really depends on the company. We essentially sit in between marketing and engineering. Um, for marketers, we're engineers. For engineering, we're marketers. It's fun. You talk with a lot of people while coding, and you talk about coding. So if you like to talk about coding, perfect job. It's kind of new as well. And we were a team of six when I joined. 
very young. Everyone was like under 30. What we did was our main goal was, okay, let's onboard a million developers onto Web3. Sounds easy. How do we do, how you do that is a completely different story. Um, I remember shout out to Albert. That was my, my soul, like literally always together trying to onboard developers. We started creating a lot of resources. What we do is we create resources, we create tutorials, we shape the documentation. We also travel, go to conferences and host workshops, boot camps, as well as panels. So we simply started doing all of these. And in the meantime, though, we were also exploring how marketing in Web3 works and how marketing for developers works and how conferences in Web3 works and how, how like Web3 works. So it was like this kind of continuous learning journey between let's learn the technology that is super new, let's learn how marketing works that is super new, and let's learn how community works in this environment that is also super new. So we started developing a bunch of things. We the first big thing that we did was road, road to Web3. It was like a 10 weeks bootcamp that me and Albert literally recorded in one week. It was mad, mad. It was like <laughs> 16 hours of tutorials recorded in one week. We ended up like being 10 years older as both. It was so funny though. And it went kind of viral. After the first week, we had something like 50,000 students going through our course Cool thing, we kind of invented this thing called proof of knowledge. It was just NFTs back, use cases for Web3. Every time you completed a lesson, you could earn an NFT. That was assessing that you actually completed the lesson. And we call them proof of knowledge. There was a great incentive for commitment. That's, that's the biggest problem when it comes to online learning. Everyone, literally 80% of students completed the project because of that. Anyway, going back to the original question, how it's been is we release a bunch of programs and a bunch of tutorials to teach developers. Uh, we grow, we grew the company a lot. We grew the ecosystem. Um, we went from a gigantic bull market to a terrible beer market to like a mid gray market in, in two years. So we've seen a lot of things changing. And now I guess what we're trying to do is to bring consistency all around. So consistency in the DevRel ecosystem. So explaining actually what DevRel should do and why they're so important, not just in Web3, but also in Web3, we're trying to push more um, this narrative of what is Web3 and how it works, as well as growing the ecosystem. Broad question, even broader answer. <laughs> we can get vertical wherever you want. Vito, let's talk more about um, technologies and getting into Web3, right? So I think one of the biggest things we'd like to discuss with you today is exposing Web3 to our listeners, right? The folks who are just getting started in the, in the industry or trying to find their way in the industry. I'm sure we have a lot of folks who haven't even considered Web3. So let's talk about, I don't know, the starting points, right? What, what is the recommendation of just how to get started with the technologies? What's, what's best? How, what's the entry point for us? Sure. So as we were saying before, Web3 is not a completely different tech stack. There are completely different things, but the core tech stack for decentralized applications stays quite the same. So you will still have your front-end framework or JavaScript. You will still have your HTML. You will still have your CSS or styling frameworks such as Tailwind or whatnot. And most of the time, most of cases, you will also have a database where you will want to store data because storing all of your data on chain is, is not a case. The difference is 
are with smart contracts. So new programming language there and how to deploy smart contracts, how the smart contracts ecosystem works. So Solidity and so on and so forth. And on the other hand, a couple of extra libraries that you will need on your front end to understand how this works. Now, to learn all of these things, the first part of things, you can just learn how just the same way as any other developer. So as we were saying before, there are amazing courses such as the Angela Yu course on how to get started with web development. That's great. You can start with that. For Web3 specifically, smart contract development and Web3 integrations, I would rather I would recommend. So I started with very old resources that are not like up to date anymore. The go-to resources today are probably the Patrick Collins video. Yesterday, Patrick just issued a new video that is 24 hours. He's crazy as a machine. Um, he published a 32 hours course, Web3 development course last year, ate a 24 updated course yesterday on how to get started with web free it actually explains you everything you need to know starting from javascript continuing to solidity smart contract development and going into deployment and how to optimize your smart contracts and how to make them secure the other resource that i really feel like recommending is alchemy university alchemy university has quite a story and it goes back to last year in august when the chainshot team joined us as a team Chainshot was one of the most popular, if not the most popular, Ethereum development bootcamp out there, attended by all engineers from all Web3 companies and all professionals who wanted to get started into Web3. Problem is, it was kind of pricey, it was kind of expensive, it was like $3,000 the course, it was cohort-based course, so it was a bit different. Um, but as we said before, Web3 really targets people from emerging markets. So $3,000 was completely not affordable. So we decided to make it completely free. And it's a seven weeks bootcamp that you will learn everything from how the blockchain works to, again, how to deploy your smart contract, optimize them, but as well as cryptography and smart contract optimization, gas, OP codes, and so on and so forth, completely for free. At the end, you also have... Uh, quick test, I would say you need to create a project and submit it to us so we can review it. And if you, it's a green light, then you get Alchemy Ethereum developer certified. So you can just go and start applying to, to developers job with, with that certification. So I would say if you go through these two resources, you probably know more than 90% of the industry. But again, um, the big thing is you still need to be familiar with system designs. You still need to be familiar with like full stack development. And if there is like a lot of usage, you will still need to be familiar with like serverless and queues and so on and so forth. So think about getting into Web2 first, of course. Uh, we still call it Web2 and getting very solid foundations there. And then moving to Web3 that comes with other, I would say, sensibilities such as security and best practices. And of course, you're dealing with exchange of value that is kind of complex. So many of our listeners, uh, actually, I think pretty much all of them are, are in web development, specifically on the, the front end, where technologies are just changing so quick and you learn something and then you know next year, the next thing comes out and then the next thing comes out, right? So it's good that it's constant learning, but I guess it could be easy to constantly feel left behind, right? If you're not staying up to date, is that sort of the same thing with learning web three technologies and, and best practices? Is it changing that quickly? Is it maybe a little bit different in pace? It's worse. <laughs> it's way worse. <laughs> like with JavaScript, I mean, you, 
we, we have best practices in front-end development, right? And very difficult that it will change drastically from one week to the other. I think the most drastic change, man, change um, in recent times has been Next.js 13 that has completely changed their project and folder structure. It's been a total messed up for, messed up for everyone, but you can deal with it. With Web3, we still don't have opinionated best practices. We're creating them. And new components of the stack, literally new components, like if NoSQL database were coming out tomorrow, um, are still coming out today. So there is some, I would say, commitment that you need to, to, to have to, to stay on track, to stay updated with the latest technologies. But as always, it's the same as front-end and back-end development. There are stuck. At, at a certain point, you will end up with a stack that you like, and it will keep for like a year. Because it's impossible. It's not even healthy, I would say, to update your stack every time a new technology comes out. So you probably spend the first six months being completely confused, and then you will have your stack that you can use. To make this job easier, actually, I, for, I forgot about it, but I developed a tool that is called Create Web Freed Up that is essentially the same as create next up, but for web free applications. So you just run the command in your terminal that is npx create web free up at latest, just like next up. And then you can start from or a boilerplate or a template application. So if you're just studying, you can take a look at what kind of technologies are being used and how they're communicating with each other. Um, if instead you're like participating into hackathon or you're just building something, you don't have to start from scratch and go through all the boilerplate setup. You can just start with that command. Hmm. So I would say, yes, things change. There are a lot of tools out there to help you out, but don't follow always the latest technologies unless they're breakthroughs in your industry. Um, you mentioned, you know, the, the Alchemy Bootcamp course and um, submitting projects at the end of that, right? And I'm curious because I, I still feel like maybe there's going to be some confusion about Web3 and like, well, why would I do Web3 versus just the stuff I've already been studying? Um, can you give me some examples of like, let's talk about projects, right? Let's, can you compare a Web2 project and then translate that to Web3 for me and tell me kind of the benefits and why we would go web three, what would be the motivation for that? Yes, but let me take a step back before, because this is really interesting. And this is something that even who's working in web three sometimes gets wrong. The goal of web three is not making a decentralized YouTube. The goal of web three is not to make a decentralized something if that centralized counterpart works perfect, perfectly well. Like YouTube works super well. They pay their creators really well. Um, the way the search engine works is fantastic. Is Google, of course. And the way the streaming functionalities work and it's completely free. And yes, the advertisements might be boring sometimes, but you know they give a, an amazing service. So not every time translating a Web2 application into Web3 makes sense and makes you say, oh yes, that's definitely the thing that I should do for my application. There are applications though where this makes sense. And I think I want to more focus on these rather than the others. So let's say that we're talking, let's go back to login solutions, for example. So any application will have, that has user management will probably have some way for the users to sign up, sign in, log out, create an account, modify their accounts, have proprietary data, and so on and so forth. Now, standard Web2 technologies um, usually use OAuth. And OAuth using Google as a provider or Facebook as a provider or GitHub as a provider. And you offset all of your like user management and security to these services. 
The problem is a person, a single human, can potentially create multiple accounts. So let's say that your application is a voting application and you're voting for the best artist in, I don't know, the European Music Awards in 2023. Amazing. How many times it happens that everyone is like, of course, these votes are not real. Like you can literally create as many accounts as you want and just vote. You just need time. And so in the past, many times happened that these votes were not real. They were faulty and they had to redraw the ballots and so on and so forth. Now, Web3 Technologies solved that with a thing called CB-resistant login, so self-sovereign identities. These are ways to allow users to sign up on your application with wallets or accounts that have been pre-created and have been filled with personal information that are very hard to replicate. What I mean by that? If you have one single account and to your single ID attached LinkedIn, Twitter, and you know, GitHub, it's very difficult for you to recreate another account and create another Twitter account, another LinkedIn account, and another GitHub account, create activities on these accounts, and then have, um, you know, a solid account enough to be considered a human. Does it make sense until now? Mm -hmm. Like the more your accounts have been active, the more your trustworthiness, your identity points uh, will be. And this is very hard to replicate. With Web3, we have these services that actually do that. So you can sign up with a pre-created account with all of these like services and identities provider attached and determine uh, identity ID, how trustworthy this account is and perform cert allow them to perform certain actions based on their identity value. Things that in Web2 you can't do. Or let's talk about social medias. A big problem for creators is every time you want to create a new account in a social, on a social media platform, you need to start from scratch. If you want to create a Twitter account, you start from zero. If you want to create a YouTube account, you start from zero. In Web3, we have a thing called decentralized social media graphs that are open source graphs that connect different social medias such, so that a single account can have profiles on multiple social medias and have always the same following. And this is very cool for creators because at that point, they can just change the medium with which they communicate to their following, but without having to rebuild completely their following. That is really, really important. Thing that it cannot happen in Web2. So uh, on top of that, again, like value exchange. PayPal is not available in India because of policies. It's not because of technologies. Um, crypto payments are fully available in India. There is this legend about like regulations, but that's another story. Um, they're fully available in India and so on and so forth. So I guess Web2, a lot of Web2 applications should just stay Web2 applications. But whenever you see there are like issues that Web2 cannot solve, such as identity, value exchange, or openness of information, giving the same access to the same data to everyone, um, that's where Web3 applications can thrive. Mm, very good. So we, we talked about maybe, we talked about your past and kind of took a little bit of a, of a dive into Web3, but specifically when it comes to you, what are some of, of your goals? Um, where do you see yourself going in the next few years, maybe with Web3 or just your career in general? Lloyd, this is a very deep question. So when I joined Web3, I joined because of the narrative of Web3 again, and might be good, but might be not. And this is why I'm in the space. And it's because I really believe that some degree of decentralization context my brother for example is one of the policymakers in the european parliament like he works at the european prosecutor office and he makes the policies his chief lawyer there 
Um, his wife is an amazing blockchain lawyer. So they're like cutting edge in their, in their domains. My family has always been super involved in like helping other countries and like going to like humanitarian help and things like that. When I joined Web3, I really found my like point of conjunction between technology that is a thing that I always loved and actually bringing a change, bringing an impact in the world that is not just through technology or politics. And Web3, again, has this promise, has this narrative in it that is like bringing equality to everyone, doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, how your government works, anything. You deserve, again, security. You deserve to exchange value. You deserve the same financial tools as a person in the Silicon Valley, even if you are in like a small village in the middle of nowhere. So I guess what I want to do with my career is make sure that I will always have the time and I will always work with people that have the same vision of Web3. It's not just like, of course, a place where you can make a bunch of money. That is true because there aren't many Web3 developers, but it's also a place where you can actually change people's lives. And to do that, this is way harder. You need, you need to work really, really hard. For my future, I think... I will continue teaching. Uh, there are big plans coming out with big creators in the industry. Luckily, we're a small group. So again, there aren't many people. So there are big plans to uh, create more content and more events and more things that will actually teach people what Web3 really is. Um, and I think this is the main thing. So continue doing this, continue helping Alchemy as much as I can in uh, onboarding these developers and teaching the amazing technologies that they're developing, they're breaking through. Um, giving security and way better developer experience to developers. And at the same time, um, yeah, helping the ecosystem and the people in that. Folks, like there are things that are insane. Sorry, this is not off topic, but like Afghani schools in Afghanistan, they cannot teach to girls. Okay, there is no way they can teach to girls because the, the people that are governing there, they are against that. So education and women cannot go together. There are associations, it's fully legal for some reason, so we can actually talk about that. There are associations that are getting funded from foreign countries through cryptos to teach these women and girls opening educational centers, because otherwise they wouldn't have any way to finance themselves, because there's no bank, there's no way you can just like send money to an Afghani bank account, but you can do it through cryptos, and they can translate this money, and they're teaching thousands of girls every month. So I think that's what I want to do, and that's why I'm in in this in this space. I love that. I think I think it's always uh, it's always nice to hear when somebody's passionate about making some actual change through through coding, through technology, and and those are some really awesome points you talked about. Um, I'd love to hear some potentially uh, final words of advice here for our folks that are listening who are trying to get started in the industry. You know, you had a very unique way that you found your way here and that you found your way to Alchemy. You mentioned kind of your 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 Twitter experience and creating content and finding your way that way. What what advice would you give to folks who are trying to find their way there that are hoping to make an impact like you are doing today? I'll probably give the same advice that a person gave me one day that is kind of harsh, but really true. And it changed, of course, everything. Um, we are 8 billion. It was 7 billion when they told me this, but we are 8 billion nowadays in this world. And there's a lot of people. There are a lot of developers and chances are no one will support you until it's popular to support you in many different ways. 
What you can do though is to differentiate yourself. Differentiating yourself is it doesn't mean going to work for the biggest companies out there. It doesn't mean we're, um, creating something extraordinary. Of course, that would do the job, but that's probably like very time consuming. What you can do though is start sharing the things that you're doing. Is start sharing what you're building. Is start talking to people. Is start networking, and this translates in many different ways. The first one is. Honestly, stop coding alone in your room. Every time code, you code something, every time you learn something, share it online. Teach people as you folks are doing. This is amazing. This is so valuable. And the reason why this works really well is because as soon as you start teaching people, people, and this is pure psychology, will inherently start to, starting to see you as an expert of your, of your domain, start to think you as someone that knows, knows a lot of things about the things they're talking about. So share, create a community, create an online community. And that's, that's the, first, the first one. The second one is networking, is literally talk to people, meet people, make friends, join communities, talk to them, especially in Web3. But this is true for all the domains because I met literally, I don't know, like lead engineers from AWS at random conferences in the middle of nowhere, looking to hire people. And these are the places where you'd want to meet these people. These are the places where you want to show your curriculum, not on like a form page on a website, because that's how everyone does. You want to do it talking to people. So share what you're doing, share your learnings, teach others, create a community, don't be afraid. Uh, you will you learn when you have zero followers, not when you have 100,000 followers. So you will learn while you grow. It's totally feasible. Imposter syndrome, I mean, you got to get used to it, right? Like there's nothing you can do against it. Um, and the second one, again, networking. The third one is a little bit of faith. Like be faithful. That is just a matter of consistency and it's just a matter of consistency with everything, literally. If you do these three things, super hard that things won't go as you're planning them. Well, awesome. That was some really, really great nuggets of advice there. And Vito, where can people find you? So on Twitter, I'm Vito Stuck, V-I-T-T-O-S-T-A-C-K. On Telegram, this is cringe. Every single time is real Vito Stuck, but not because I felt like Ronaldo, but because they stole my nickname. There's like a copycat and I cannot delete it. There's no way. So real Vito Stuck on Telegram. And yeah, and if you want to follow Alchemy, we have Alchemy platform on Twitter and Alchemy University. These are our communities, developer community and university community. But if you want to shoot me a message on Twitter, I'm super happy to have a chat. Awesome. Well, we'll link to your socials in the show notes as well. Fido, thank you so much for, for being on the show. This has been very educational and very fun. The pleasure was mine. Thank you, Matt and Eric for inviting me today. It was amazing. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you aren't already, please subscribe. We release a new episode every Friday. If you want to help us grow, please share this show with your network. Check the show notes for all of our links. Reach out and say hi. Email us at selftaughtdevs at gmail.com if you have a recommendation for a guest or a topic. Thank you for listening to Self Taught Devs.